the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson. I went on a long walk this morning. I just got back. I made some pancakes for the Nornator, getting her fed so she lets me record this podcast in peace. And then I've got sort of a busy day. I've been working from home a lot because I was on quarantine, but I think that I'm going to start working from home a whole lot more. I, uh, I was back in the office yesterday and it was like bullets were flying and there was like too much excitement. I'm, I'm used to this sort of slower gentlemanly pace of working at home. Slower gentlemanly pace. What a, what a thing to say. It's interesting that you said that because we've been talking about whether or not office space is important for the last few months. And you've, you've, uh, tended to fall on the other side of it where you definitely need the office space. You've got to be around other people. It's interesting though, that you, you've kind of flipped, I wouldn't say you flipped on that, but it's your perspective is, is a little bit different than I would have expected. I did read an article recently. I think it was in Inc or fortune where they had uh, maybe an entrepreneur, maybe it's an entrepreneur magazine, but the um, how everyone thinks has thought for a while that productivity goes up when you work from home. And they're finding that that's not so true. So did you find that you were more productive at home? No, I'm just not wanting to be as productive. <laughs> you just don't want to do the work. Right, right. I'm in, I'm in a phase. But let's get straight to our guest. Our guest today is Nicole Reed. She's the managing partner and owner of Reed Legal Solutions. They're down in Florida. She's been practicing law since 2012, and we're really glad to welcome her to the show. Nicole, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. So Nicole, walk us through your journey and how you got to where you are today. So I actually took a little bit of a detour. I did undergrad at the University of Florida, go Gators, and graduated with a journalism degree back in 2002. Stuck around for a year and did a production degree as well. So I actually started my career in journalism and I did some producing of TV pilots. I produced a, a biker show, which was so out of my box. Produced some infomercials, which was wild. You know, think Roomba, like I actually did one of the Roomba infomercials. It was just a crazy time. It was a lot of fun. And then I started working in broadcast news and I sort of realized that I wasn't really helping anyone. I was just sort of broadcasting the tragedy of the day, which is really kind of depressing when you think about it. And then I realized I had to sort of turn off my emotions so that I could objectively deliver the news. And I didn't like 
having to be that cold, sort of emotionless, facts-only kind of person. I just didn't like having to shut off that whole side of me just to do my job. So I decided it was time for plan B. It was law school time. And uh, that kind of always been plan B, but I figured I would pursue the journalism thing before I spent a bunch of money on law school debt. But it was time. So I quit my news job and started law school at the University of Miami and figured I, I would do some good in the world, help people a little bit. And then I quickly realized that I don't actually like people enough to do things like family law or criminal defense or something that's a you know very client heavy, client, you know, client facing heavy. So I decided, you know, I love entrepreneurs and I love business. And I sort of started on that path. For about five years, I focused solely on legal malpractice defense, which was really interesting because it kept me from getting bored. Because every, you know, every case was different. It may be an underlying real estate law case one day and an underlying, you know, family law case the next. So it kept me you know, from getting bored. I was constantly learning, you know, new things and, and I really enjoyed that, but it didn't translate well to solo practice. So when I started my own firm, I sort of had to expand my practice areas and I went back to doing, you know, business, intellectual property and some real estate stuff. All right, Nicole. So I can't let this pass the fact that you worked on infomercials because I actually watch infomercials, not so much because I'm interested in a thigh master, but more because <laughs> I love to think about the marketing strategies that are at play in these infomercials. Before we get into all the legal stuff, tell me if you can, any inside information or things that you learned from watching people produce infomercials. You've always got to have a bonus gift and it should be something that is tangentially related to the main product, but not exactly. So a lot of places will do like the buy one, get one half off. That's not ideal. It's better to have a complimentary product to go along with it. There's my infomercial tip of the day. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a really good, it's a really good one. <laughs> um, it makes me think like what I can give as bonus gifts in my, in my practice. But <laughs> what was that transition like whenever you said, okay, I'm going to go out on my own and do my own thing. I mean, t talk about that experience. It was absolutely terrifying. I had always worked for medium or large law firms just because that's really where the legal malpractice defense work was. The malpractice insurance carriers are the ones that hire the attorneys that defend, you know, their, their insurance. So that was really, you know, they like to have the big firms on panel that have the $2 million, you know, malpractice coverage. So that was where that work was. So I always worked for sort of bigger firms and it, it dawned on me one day, I mean, more than one day at dawned on me multiple times over the course of, you know, seven years that I was really just focused on the billable hour to the detriment of my clients. So, you know, there's so much emphasis on meeting your, your weekly, monthly, annual billing requirements so that the partners in the corner offices can buy their third Porsche. When that may not necessarily be what's best for your client, I may be able to pick up the phone and resolve this issue with a five minute phone call. But I can only bill point one for that phone call if I send a three-page letter. Now I can bill almost an hour. So I just didn't like that I wasn't necessarily putting my clients' needs ahead of the firm's and that I had really no, no control over the matter. So that was sort of the final straw for me that led me to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for myself and do it the way I want to do it. And sort of along with that, right around the time that I started really considering starting my own firm, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And... It's really strange in Florida because it's not something that we're supposed to have here, but we do. And 
the, the toll that that took on me, I was just very fatigued a lot of the time. I had to take a lot of time off for treatments. I had some neurological things. I couldn't remember for a while what yellow lights meant, so I had to stop driving. So it just really interfered with really being able to, to bill, you know, 200 hours a month, you know, for a big firm. So I figured, let me step back, do it my way, and then I can have a little more flexibility and control over my own life. So, Nicole, talk to us about the day before you went out on your own and the day after you went out on your own. I would like to say that I had a plan, but I didn't. I tend to be a pretty impulsive person, and that was exactly what happened. I was literally sitting at work one day, and I had been toying over the idea for a while. I have a few friends that also have their own firms, and and I had sort of reached out to them, and they said, well, if that's something you want to do, we can outsource some work to you because, you know, we have more than we can handle, but not enough to hire someone. So if you do want to start your own firm, like we can give you some contract work. So it was in the back of my mind and, and I just had a particularly rough day at the office. You know, big firm politics were at play. And I literally just said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I got up, walked into the managing director's office and resigned. And I gave two weeks. I ended up only filling out the rest of that week. And, and I literally said, okay, I'm starting my firm over the weekend. So I did. <laughs> and within about six days, I had my firm fully up and running. I mean, that, that's a really scary time. I mean, you're, you're just, I mean, did you really have a plan? I mean, I, it doesn't seem like you had a plan. You're just like, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm going to start. Did you sit down and map it out or were you just jump in the water? I just jumped in and it was especially terrifying. I thankfully don't have a whole lot of responsibilities. I don't have children, but at the same time, I'm not married. So I didn't really have that financial safety net either. So it was sort of like, there's no option but for this to work <laughs> you know and if it doesn't work then worst case scenario i go back and get another job not the end of the world but i'll never know if i don't try it and honestly i think had i tried to plan it out i probably would have scared myself away from it i think the only way for me to really do it was to hit that breaking point where i said i can't do this anymore enough and just jump um, and trust that i would catch myself and, and thankfully i have <laughs> i'm coming up on one year actually in about two weeks we uh, have had a lot of people on the show who've gotten frustrated and left a firm. I don't know that we've ever had someone who did it on a Friday, Monday, kind of a, I mean, or a Monday, Monday, where, you know, I was married at the time that I started my firm. And so my wife, I would have done what you did, right? I, I would have totally gotten upset wherever I was and gone ahead and, and left. But my wife wanted me to have more of a plan. I think, and we've talked about this before on the show, I think sometimes the plan's overrated, especially if the plan's keeping you from taking that action. But after, tell us about when it started to sink in last year that you were on your own and sort of what surprised you most about it, maybe the good and the bad. Sure. So I think the first couple weeks were very exciting because I was still doing things like designing my website, my Facebook page, my Google My Business page, starting to you know, make connections and put my name out there. So the first couple of weeks was more excitement than terror. And then I realized oh crap, how am I going to get the phones to ring? <laughs> you know, that wasn't something I'd ever had to worry about before. So that, there was definitely, I would say, a healthy mix of fear and excitement at the same time. What made things so much easier are all the incredible resources that are out there, particularly Facebook groups like Maximum Lawyer. There are a bunch of female-focused attorney groups. Again, I have a lot of friends that had their own firms, so they were really able to sort of point me in the right direction and say, this is a great resource, join this group. You know, I could post in the groups and say, hey, 
can you send me samples of your engagement agreements, for instance? And then I could sort of, instead of reinventing the wheel, sort of create my, you know, documents based on sort of the wealth of knowledge that was already out there from those who had gone before me. So those groups, I think, really um, saved me, not only in just an informational perspective, but also in just the camaraderie. Because from going from a large firm where there's, you know, 14 other attorneys down the hallway to I'm by myself in my office, it's just me, I'm all alone. Having someone to bounce things off of, even basic things, you know, what kind of computer monitors are you guys liking these days? You know, just anything, it's nice to have that community there and that kept me from feeling totally alone. So Nicole, this is a question we like to ask. And we didn't always ask it from the beginning. It's something more recent, but what is your why? Why why do you do what you do? Why did you start your firm? That's a really great question. And I think if I had to boil it down to one why, it would be so that I have control over my own future. I, I don't want to let other people sort of dictate my path. All right. So what's your setup now? What, what areas of law do you focus on and how do you get your new clients? I focus primarily on business, intellectual property, so trademarks and copyright. I don't do the patent stuff. I send that out. And real estate. And sort of the reason I do real estate is because I'm in Lake County, Florida, where it is just constantly growing. And to not get involved in real estate out here would be silly. So it just sort of made sense. But really, business and and trademarks are probably 80% of my practice area. Most of my clients, pleasantly, surprisingly, are coming from word of mouth, from other attorneys, and from former clients, even clients that I served when I was with firms, they're now seeking me out individually, which is, you know, obviously a really nice feeling that I, you know, have clients that knew me from a firm and are coming to me directly now. So that's, that's where most of my clients are coming from. That's great. So um, in the questionnaire, you said one of the things that you have information or knowledge about is protecting uh, your brand's intellectual property. So what are some tips on protecting your, your firm's intellectual property? obviously the very first thing, biggest tip is trademark, trademark, trademark. So if you do not already have your firm name trademarked, it's definitely a good idea too. I do not take my own advice. My own name is not trademarked because it really can't be. It's not you know original enough. But definitely if, if your name is something that is a defining part of your brand, you want to make sure you protect that. It's not enough just to register with your state's secretary of state. That keeps other businesses in your state from being able to use your same name, but that does nothing for everybody in all of the other states. So you really want to make sure you get that federal registration locked down so that your your brand name is protected. And then tell us about your team. Do you do you are you a true solo? Do you have people that help? Do you have VAs or how do you have it set up? I do have a part-time virtual assistant, and she was another gift from one of these Facebook groups. Um, a friend of mine had her own firm. She had a virtual assistant who wanted more hours. My friend wasn't in a position to give her more hours, so she knew I was looking, and she said, hey, why don't you give her some hours? So it ended up working out perfectly. So the, my friend and I, we both share the same virtual assistant. She worked for both of us, and it, it works really well. I do need to get better at delegating, though. <laughs> I need to get some processes and systems down so I can hand some more things off because I'm at that growth point now where it's like, I can't do everything myself. I don't have time to teach her either. So it's, I'm, I'm at that uncomfortable phase. Well, let, let's stay in that uncomfortable phase for a second. Let's, let's talk about that. What, I guess, what is stopping you from delegating more things and hiring more people and, and, and all that? To be honest, probably fear. I, I, I know that I, in reality, I probably could bring on a paralegal or an associate 
and in theory, generate enough business that they would pay for themselves. But it's a terrifying thing to be responsible for someone else's livelihood. It's one thing to be responsible for part-time hours for a virtual assistant. It's an entirely different ball of wax to be responsible for someone's entire salary. So that's one of those things that sort of paralyzes me, to be honest. It's almost so terrifying that it's, it's, I'm afraid to act either way. Um, and I know that that's something that I need to, to think about and work on. But to be honest, I never even imagined that I would have a part-time virtual assistant, you know, as early on in the process as I did. So I'm sort of ahead of my own benchmarks and trying to cut myself some slack. But at the same time, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I need to offload some things. So I, I definitely need to figure that out soon. What's holding you back? I know that it's fearful. Walk us through what, what would it take for you to feel comfortable bringing on the person that you need? I need to develop my own processes and workflows much better. Because I've been doing everything myself, I've never written down a workflow. I've never written a step-by-step of this is how this goes. So actually just earlier, or I guess later last week, I um, had a, a phone conference with my, my virtual assistant to sort of start assigning her some, some new things. And halfway through our conversation, she was like, man, this would really be a lot better if there were like, you know, a written step-by-step chart. I'm like, yes, you're 100% right. It definitely would be a lot easier if I had done that, but I haven't. So here we are. So that's, that's definitely something that, that is all on me and I know that I need to do. And part of the problem, I think, for me is I wasn't really sure what form my firm was going to take because I hadn't done these areas of law as a solo you know, obviously I hadn't done any areas of law as a solo when I first started out. I wasn't sure which area was really going to sort of reign supreme. Am I going to be 80% trademark work and just a little bit of the other stuff? I don't know. So I didn't want to invest heavily in setting up systems and case management software when I didn't really know what shape my firm was going to take. So I'm still sort of feeling it out. And I'm not 100% sure, you know, where the ball is going to settle in terms of defining practice area. So I've been hesitant to sort of commit to any specific process or program or, you know, setting up forms when I'm still sort of feeling it out. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes complete sense. And I'm going to tell you right now what it is. And Jim, it's funny, Jim and I, how we differ on vision. Um, he thinks it's important, but not as important as I do. But if you had, if you sat down and had written out your vision a year ago, this would not be confusing to you. This would be, you'd know exactly what you needed to do. So here's my question to you. And I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Have you sat, sat down and written down, have you, have you written down your vision? And I know you've not. And so um, why not? Well, I'm busted. And <laughs> why not? I feel like I'm, I mean, this is the, the oldest, lamest excuse in the book, but I, I just, I don't feel like I have time to. I don't feel like I have the time to set aside and focus on that and only that. And um, I know that's the wrong answer, but I feel like I'm so busy putting out fires and just sort of keeping my head above water that I don't have time to do as much work on my business as I'd like. I'm too busy working in my business. And that's, again, sort of why I feel the need to start delegating things because I need to start working on my business again. So it's almost like we're in a chicken and the egg situation, like which, which comes first. It's sort of a vicious cycle. I can't free myself to build the systems to properly delegate. I think, I mean, I'll, I'll defer to Tyson on this. Maybe Tyson, you chime in, but I think getting the VA, the VA or the person that you hire involved in actually building the systems with you, like don't think you have to set aside time 
to actually develop this stuff, just have them follow you around and record what you do. Because you already have systems. They're just not written down. So it's all a matter of, you know, Ryan McKean said at MaxLawCon 2019, he said, the most dangerous thing is when all the information is in one person's head. So you got to get all that information out onto paper, even just paper. And that can just be somebody following, literally following you around with a recorder or a video camera and just get all that information out. And then they have the process. You don't have to do this independent thing. They can just follow you around for two or three weeks. That's actually brilliant. And that's, you know, my VA is virtual. She's not physically here. But that just sort of triggered the light bulb in my head of, well, duh, why don't I just record voice memos and send them to her? That literally never occurred to me until you just said that. And that's problem solved. Good job, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, there, and there's more to it. I mean, we can, we can say that, and that's, that's great. It sounds wonderful. But, I mean, if you don't put it on your calendar, because I don't know about you, but, like, my calendar runs my life. It's not on my calendar. It, it won't happen. Yeah. And so you need to put it on your calendar. So what, however much time you need to set aside per day or per week, you need to do that. So you need to set these, what they're, they're called process goals. So you need to tr- like set aside time for your process goals. And so if you want to build out your, your systems, let's say you spend an hour a week um, where you can do, let's say 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever you have time to do. And I'm sure you have 15 minutes a day, not everyone, you know, blows off something for part of their day, you know? So take 15 minutes a day and spend that 15 minutes recording yourself doing something or writing out a step-by-step guide on how to do something. You, everyone can do that. And it, it may take longer than two to three weeks. I'll tell you this. It's, I mean, Jim and I are building out systems every day. I mean, I was building out stuff yesterday, so it's not going to stop. I mean, your firm's going to keep getting better, but you've got to devote the time to do it. If you don't put, okay, at 9.15 for 30 minutes, I'm going to work on systems, you won't do it. You'll, you'll be putting out that fire over here, and then you'll take this phone call. Next thing you know, it's 1 o'clock, and you'll say, oh, well, I'll get to that later on tonight, and then you won't do it. So that's why you need to make sure you put it on your calendar. How's, how's, all, that how's all that sinking in? Make sense? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. That's exactly where I am, and, and you're right. My calendar does rule my life. So. You're right. It's a, it's a great tip. And I, I'm definitely going to calendar some time today. <laughs> Perfect. Let's shift gears for a minute. What do you view as the vision for the firm in the next, say, three years? So if we were sitting here three years from now, what would have to have happened for you to feel like you'd made progress towards your goals? A few things. I think I would, I would like more office space, which I know isn't that the story for everybody. I do lease some great space. I've got a couple offices. It's really, you know, it's a nice space. It's downtown Mount Dora. I love it. But I would like more space. I would like my own freestanding building, I think, at some point. I would like to bring enough staff on board, whether that's just a paralegal, a paralegal and associate. I'm not sure at this point. But I would like to bring enough staff on board that the majority of my time can be devoted to working on my business. I love practicing law. I don't ever want to only be a rainmaker or only be you know, a managing partner and not actually get my hands dirty. But I would like sort of be able to offload the heavy lifting to someone else and then just handle the fine tuning and focus on building and perfecting and sort of streamlining my business. I think that's really where I'd like to be in, in about three years. You know, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned the office space and you mentioned the people that you wanted to hire. I'm just curious, why are those things important to you? The people, the people I want to hire is an easier sort of prong to approach there because, again, I think the reason that's important to me is I would like to be able to spend most of my time growing my business, perfecting my business, you know, doing the marketing and the things that actually bring in the money and the clients. 
instead of, you know, drafting motion and brief after brief. So that's, that's sort of an easier one. Why I think more office space is important to me, I feel like there is, and this is probably just my old school sort of mentality, there is something satisfying about seeing your name on a building and, and being able to you know, unlock the door and say, this is my space. And right now I'm leasing space in a building, but that's not quite the same thing. So I definitely, I want to have you know, a brick and mortar place that is mine that I have built. It's just sort of that sense of accomplishment, I guess. Why is that important to you? That strikes me as a curious goal one year out of, one year out of opening your own firm. I don't know. Like, like I said, I think maybe that's just the old school part of me that's like, I want to build something. And I don't mean, you know, physically build a building, but I want to build something that is fixed and permanent and solid and, and shows that I have you know, really accomplished something and, and sort of written my name in ink, if that makes sense. No, it does. So I'm going to, I know we're sort of running short on time, but I want to, I want to dig a little deeper on this because this is, this is sort of fascinating to me. What, tell us about your background. Like, are, like when you were younger, like when you were a kid, like, are you like, were you, what kind of a family were you from? Like, tell us about that a little bit. So I had kind of a little bit of a different childhood. My sister, I only have one sibling and she's 12 years older than me. So by the time, you know, I was eight, she was married and out of the house. So it was sort of, you know, I was sort of an only child, but not really. I almost had two moms. <laughs> so it was, it was sort of a little different. But when I was very young, my family moved out to Claremont, Florida, which is a little, it's bigger now. But back then it was a little tiny, very um, rural town. I used to say there's more cows than people. Now there's probably more people than cows because it's grown a lot in the last you know decade or so. But back then, you know, it was we had to take a cooler to the grocery store because everything would melt getting back home. It was you know a 45 minute drive to the grocery store. The closest movie theater was an hour and a half away. So you know we had lots of land and horses and cows, and I would go play in the woods and you know climb orange trees and stuff. But it was. I don't want to say a very lonely existence, but it kind of was because I didn't have friends, you know, in the neighborhood. There was no neighborhood. My neighborhood was a mile long dirt road that I had to walk to get to the bus stop in the morning. So I think maybe that's part of what drives me to sort of have my own space, if that makes sense, because like I was so far removed from everything. And then, you know, I graduated high school at 16. I skipped fourth grade. So I was a little bit ahead and immediately said, get me out of here. I, I get me out of Claremont. I'm going to the big city of Gainesville. <laughs> where there's sidewalks and people and things to do. And I, you know, immediately left and swore I was never coming back. And then of course I came back. I'm back in Lake County and my parents are an hour down the road and it's great because it's actually a you know growing city now. But maybe that is something behind why I, I have that that sort of desire to have a physical space. Yeah. I think that's a great insight and it reminds me of that quote about the people having to go around the world to come back home and find themselves. So that's great. That's, that's, that's a good insight, Tyson. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think more and more the time that Tyson and I are spending with people, we're seeing that a lot of their goals and aspirations and even their, their blocks and hurdles come from things that are deep and old. And that was great. So thanks for sharing that. What, this will be my last question. What are you best at? I am best at connecting with people. And I think that is in part what fueled me to get a journalism degree and then go to law school. I think that's sort of the common thread throughout pretty much all of the jobs I've had and all of the, the professions I've been attracted to is just connecting with people, getting 
down to what is really going on and sort of pulling the truth out of them. I think that's really what my strength is. All right. I love it. All right. We're a little bit over time, but we're going to wrap things up before I do. I want to remind everyone, go to the Facebook group, get involved there. If you don't mind taking a couple seconds as we finish this episode to go and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate it. And then if you want to join the guild, we've got a lot of great members, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great new members too. Check us out at MaximumLawyer.com. But Jimbo, what's your, your hack of the week? What's your hack of the week? So my hack of the week goes along exactly with what we've been talking to Nicole about. You know, I practice with my wife and she's a um, class A personality, just all driving, all hard, very forceful. And she has a hard time delegating and giving things to other people. And specifically, she would get frustrated when things don't come back to her perfectly. And I introduced her to this concept that I learned about in Strategic Coach from Dan Sullivan. And it's the 80% rule. And it's, a, it's, it's not the Pareto principle or any of that stuff. The 80% idea is that when you're working with someone that you're delegating work to, don't think that they have to get it exactly the way that you would do it. Think, can they get it to 80% of what I need? Then I can finish it up and I'm still leveraging out the 80% of the part that I don't need to be doing. And that's, that's a really good intro to leverage and to, you know, lawyers always love to say on this show, oh, I wish I could clone myself. Well, you know what? You can't clone yourself, but you can find someone, especially if you record and build out those systems like we talked about earlier to get it 80% of the way there. So then you can walk it to the finish line. I love it. So it's a very good hack. Hey, Jimbo, while I ask Nicole about her tip or hack of the week, get your ad ready so you can read to your live read because you've not done your live read. You're right. You're right. Thanks. So I'm going to give you a little bit of chance to get that together. Nicole, we know you've got a, a tip for us. So what is your tip or hack of the week? I do. So I recently um, was recommended this book to read by a fellow entrepreneur, not, not a lawyer. So it, it sort of applies to all, all businesses. It's called The One Thing. Here's what it looks like. And it was written by Gary Keller, who is the Keller of Keller Williams Realty. And I'm still making my way through it. But essentially the premise of it, which I found to be really helpful, is focus on the one thing that you need to do to get you to where you want to go. Everything else doesn't really matter. Find that one thing that can sort of put you in the position you want to be in and focus on that and only that. And it really sort of helps you eliminate the distractions and cut through the clutter and sort of prioritize all those pesky items on your to-do list sort of two through 500 sort of become much less important when you're really focusing on that one thing. And then when you get to that, find the next one thing for the next phase. And I think that was just sort of a, I mean, it sounds simple in theory, but actually implementing it is, is obviously a lot harder than it is to just talk about it. So the book really sort of gives some very real life examples of how you can implement that. And I think that's really, really been helping me. I have one for you. Put it on your damn calendar. It's your process. <laughs> Get it on your calendar and make it easy on you. Jimbo, you ready? Yeah. So I'm enjoying us doing the, the live read because it's never the same conversation twice, right? Like sometimes you interrupt at different parts and we just sort of riff off it. So here we go. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith AI's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English and in Spanish, 
They screen and schedule new leads and they even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations via phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? Tyson, you're not even gonna have to interrupt me on this one. I'm gonna interrupt myself. So getting back to that scheduling and taking payments for our consults. So I was talking to one of our Maximum Law Guild members last night and she was telling me that Smith takes the call, but they don't actually schedule the consult. And I was, I thought that was curious. And I said, well, how many calls do you get a year? And she said, 1400. And I said, they charge $1 extra to do the actual scheduling. So that's $1,400. Now, her average case value ranges from $800 for uncontested divorces to six to $8,000 for contested divorce. And I was like, well, if you had them schedule all your consults, you could get out of that and it would cost you one and a half uncontested divorces and one part of one contested divorce. So I think she's going to call Smith today to tell him to start scheduling those consults for them. I mean, it's just one less thing to do, especially when you're a small firm. And speaking of solo and small firms, if you're one of those, I know you'll appreciate this. Smith AI now offers 24-7 virtual reception and services, answering calls, website chats, texts, and Facebook messages. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls, $100 a month for chats. They even have this great free chatbot, so there's really no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100. That's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at Smith www.smith.ai. Trust me. And when I say, don't let another day go by, try Smith AI. Nicely done, Jimbo. That is officially the longest tip and hack section segment we've ever had in the history of Maximum Lawyer Podcast. So you're welcome for that. All right. So mine is going to be really short. Factorial. I couldn't sleep the other night. I was skimming through Product Hunt. If you never, if you don't have that app, I really recommend it. I've, I've recommended it in the past. Product Hunt is really good. But I was scrolling through and I saw this thing about managing your, your employees' vacation time and time off and all that kind of stuff. And Candace is always talking about how that's, it's difficult for her to do, keeping track of hours. Because honestly, QuickBooks is not that great at it. And so I saw Factorial and it's really great. Like they can submit their requests in advance. They can be approved by Candace. There's, there's a lot of, it's basically HR for really, really cheap. And it's really, really great. It's, it, it, there, there's functionality that you don't get from QuickBooks. And there's, there's a, a team calendar if you want to use the team calendar and it all syncs with G Suite and everything else. It's, it's really, really helpful. So if you need help managing your employees' time off, I really recommend it. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm glad you were willing to be a little bit vulnerable and share your story. So that was great. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.